Good morning. morning. Now let's begin class of prayer this morning. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for an amazing aspect of your character, your love, your methods, your creation. We ask that your spirit will join us this morning, enlighten our minds, draw us closer to you. Make us more effective in this world to teach the truth about you. We pray in your holy name. Amen. And uh, just uh, a quick announcement again regarding the remedy, which is available for free. Just wanted to let remind people that there's the free app as well. So if you're reading this, you say, oh man, you know, I just love that verse. In the app, if you go to the app and find the verse, you tap it, you'll see a little icon pop up, and you tap that, it gives you the option to share that right directly from the app. So you can email it to a friend, you can put it on your Facebook face page, you can, you can text it, you can do all that just from the app and say, oh, and you can send it out, and then it gives them a link that if they like it, they can link to it and get the free app as well. So if you're reading something and say, I want to share that, you can go to the app and do that very easily. We are doing lesson number two in the quarterly uh, the role of the church in the community, and the title is Restoring Dominion. But just before we do that, I had three emails I wanted to share with you. Two came in this week and one came in this morning. Here's the, the first of the emails. It says, well, I would like one case of the Remedy New Testament. I took more than half of the first box to church and they disappeared. I'm traveling uh, to Washington on the 29th and would like to take a bunch to family and friends there. Thank you so much for all you do to share the truth about God. I see this message changing people from the inside out, and I thought that would never happen. Wow. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. This message is so transforming. Yet I see others who are so indifferent, so sad. We just keep sharing and praying for hearts to open. Thank you. I'm also ordering uh, your other books, but uh, see, I can only do so much. I uh, can't do all at once. Uh, we will be donating to help with the cost. May God's rich love be more real to you each, each and every day. And the second email. A friend gave me a copy of Healing the Mind DVD set. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and an elder in our assembly, Yahweh's assembly in Yahshua, or in the King James English, the Lord's Church in Jesus. Much of what uh, Dr. Jennings teaches parallels what I learned from uh, Director M. Downing, Doc, of the Family Communication Center in Fresno. He taught the, the event, meaning, feelings, behavior continuum, the love process, and other teachings. I love the concept that it is our reason and conscience that form the judgments we make, and I recognize judgment on a scale with one end discernment and the other condemnation, the first healthy and the other unhealthy. I agree that uh, it requires both, both of these working in harmony and in the truths found in Scripture to find true judgment and discernment. I would love to share some information and ask some questions of Dr. Jennings if he's so inclined. And then the last came in this morning. My brothers and sisters at Come and Reason Ministry. So this is to you guys. When I stumbled upon your ministry, I was in such turmoil. The Seventh-day Adventist Church that I am a member of presents our God as a punishing, revengeful dictator. I raised my son in this church, teaching him and presenting this, this God to him. At age 21, my son left the church, stating it's no different than the world. You saved my life by introducing me to the true God. Your ministry is the remedy to all the false teachings in the world. It is my responsibility to ensure that I help with introducing the God of love and design law. Can you please send me a case of the remedy? So, so looking at our, our lesson today, the lesson title is Restoring Dominion. What is dominion? Does it mean to dominate? Dominion, dominate. Would Adam have been on earth prior to sin predominant? Dominion, predominant. Was Adam to be the dominant figure on earth? 
if Adam were to be predominant or to dominate prior to sin with his dominion, what would that have looked like? What actions might he have taken? How would he have behaved with his dominion as the dominant force on planet Earth? What method would he have utilized in his dominion? When you hear dominion in the world today, do you, dominion, domination, dominate, do you hear things that bring you peace and safety and autonomy and freedom? Or do you feel somehow a sense of fear, intimidation, a restriction? Uh, you know, in one of the uh, science fiction programs on TV, Star Trek, there was an evil empire called the Dominion. And the dominion were all about controlling and coercing and destroying and, and taking liberties and freedoms from the dominion. Is that what you think of when you hear dominion? Well, so, so then think in the world of, of uh, in Eden, he was given dominion. The question is, what would it have looked like? Yes. I see dominion more as domain. Like it's your house. It's somewhere where you live. You're part of it. That's where you live. So domain, domain is a place. Okay? So we can have the fish in the ocean have a domain. Do they have dominion? Wasn't he a caretaker? The rabbits in the field have a domain. Do they have dominion? No. Okay, so, so there is a domain aspect to it, and there's a limitation to where the domain... And we're going to ask that, that question in a moment. But dominion implies something more than just the space and place where we live, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. There is a, a space and place limitation, I think, to dominion. We need to be clear on that and define that. But it's something more involved here. So the question is, how before sin would Adam's dominion have functioned? What would it have looked like? Like God's. Like God's, okay. And that then, straight, what's the question? Which God? She says, the God of heaven, the maker. So if we go to most Christian churches today, walk in 100 Christian churches today and ask, describe the God of heaven and how he functions and how he uses power. What would would we get? What answer would we get? Well, he hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. We're the ones that have changed. Right. Talk about the God of creation. Yes. It would be the same God as he was back then. Yes, but how do people view him today? This is the question. I agree with everything you said. That's absolutely true. But how do people view him? Do they view him? And this is not a trick question. It's just to draw a contrast in what's commonly taught about God. And when John 13, Jesus says, all authority or all power, depending on which version you're reading, has been given to me. John 13. All authority, all power on heaven and earth has been given to me. And what's he do next? You remember the very next thing he does? He takes an action. He does something. He gets up and washes dirty feet. What? Is this, is this dominion? Is this using power? Look at how Jesus' life functioned. Did he use power in his life? Did he exercise authority and dominion? And what was his authority and dominion doing? Healing. Healing. So he exercised authority over what? deviations to God's design. See, disease are deviations from health. That's what they are. He exercised dominion over disease to restore health, to restore harmony. He cast out demons. He exercised dominion over destruction. Yes? Some of the part of the power is understanding what you're working with 
And through this power of understanding, he was able to work with man where they were because he understood where they were. Okay, so that, that was, yes. That's why he knows that you're foot-walking, because he understood, and through that power of knowledge, he could deal with them on the level that they needed to be dealt with. But the methodology, all that's true, but how did he use power? To exert control or to bring healing and restoration? Yeah. Yeah, so you're exactly right. He had that understanding. All right, so then, so then let's look at the domains, what Michael was mentioning, the domains of dominion. Did Adam have dominion over nature? Yes. Earth? Yes. Did he have dominion over angels? No. So there's a limit there, isn't there? Did he have dominion over Eve? No. Oh, now you're starting. Obviously not. Obviously not. There you go. <laughs> yes, the, the, the evidence is historic at this point, right? <laughs> okay. Um. <clears throat> With the dominion over nature, what abilities do you think might have had? And I'm going to read to you a quotation starting out of page 50 on the Patriarchs and Prophets. We're going to stop and discuss elements as we go through this quotation. This is, uh, was, was written as one of the founders of, of this denominational church. See what you think about this description. While Adam and Eve remained true to God, Adam and his companion were to bear rule over the earth unlimited control was given them over every living thing. Pause right there. If you accept that, unlimited control. Unlimited control over every living thing. What do you think that would look like? Unlimited control. Does it make a difference whether that unlimited control is coming out of a heart that is completely like Christ and selfless in love? Or unlimited control is coming out of a heart that's self-centered and fear-driven. Does that make a difference? Yes. Okay, go ahead, Wendell. I don't know if this is the same thing or not. But we get a glimpse of that in the life of Christ when he commanded fishes. He, He commanded a fish to go get a coin and give it to Peter. And he commanded fishes to get a net on two occasions. Okay. Yes? There's... um this neat movie that, you know, some people may like, some people not, but it's called Avatar. And it shows how this planet far, far away has the people there that live there have relationships with the animals and they connect with the animals. And the animals follow those people's will, but it's it's mutual benefit. And so it's when I see that, I think of the beauty that's that's out there that we haven't even glimpsed in our dark world and the things that are possible. I like where you're going with that. I like where you're going. Um, do you think if they had unlimited control over every living thing, they also had unlimited control over non-living things? Rocks, water, dirt. Do they have control over that too? There is no such a thing as unlimited Power outside of God. Okay. It didn't say unlimited power. Unlimited control. We don't even control anything absolutely. Okay. We have limits. So so, so the, the, the quote was, while they remained true to God, Adam and his companion were to bear rule over the earth. Unlimited control was given them. So it's stated, 
under their subservience and, and relationship with God. Yeah, it was stated. Yeah. Not independent of that. And that's what we'll get to in a minute. When they broke that relationship with God, their control was lost. We'll get to that in a second. So that's good. But do you think they had that control in, while they were loyal to God, that they were given the authority, if you will, the power, if you will, from God to have control over inanimate nature as well? The gemstones, the rivers, and things like that. Could they affect that? Well, I'll keep on with the quote. The lion and the lamb sported peacefully around them or lay down together at their feet. The happy birds flitted about with, without fear. And as their glad songs ascended in praise to their creator, Adam and Eve united with them in thanksgiving to the Father and the Son. The laws, which lens are you hearing through? You hear in imperial rules, speed limits, uh, tax laws. You hear in laws of gravity, laws of thermodynamics. You hear it, okay. The laws and operations of nature, so the laws of nature, which have engaged men's study for 6,000 years were opened to their minds by the infinite framer and upholder of all. I'm going to pause and unpack this a little bit. That would be so awesome. Yeah. Could you imagine having a... God is your physics teacher. Remember you took physics in in, in school? Your biology 101, God is your biology 101 teacher. And would that be a cool class? How many would sign up for that class? (laughs) Okay. Let's phrase this differently. How many will sign up for that class? Oh, how many will sign up for that class? Yeah, here you go. Will be awesome. Yeah, that's going to be great. So... As you look into nature and the laws of nature, is there any that, that have historically struck you as, uh, as informative, as moving, as awe-inspiring, that you look at that in nature and, and you learn something about God and it's helped you in your life? Anybody want to share uh, some law from nature that they've learned? How animals take care of their own. Like, you know, there's this thing on Facebook with this little mother raccoon. It's taken her five little babies to safety up into a hole up in a tree. And how two are linked behind, and she goes back and gets them, pulls them in, and tucks them in. I mean, you know, if they don't think or anything, where does that come from? But they have taken care of their own like that. So, what are we seeing evidence there? Love, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's a good, good one. When we think of the laws, there's classic Newtonian physics. Laws of gravity, motion, friction, the things that are the, the everyday common things that we use in our, our life every day. There's also laws of magnetism, how magnets work, um, electricity, laws over electricity, electrons move, and then nuclear properties, the things that hold nuclei together that we exploit with nuclear physics okay, and and nuclear uh, weapons and so forth. All of these laws that I just described to you are fixed. Yes? One thing that fascinates me is the way DNA works. Uh, And it's interesting to think that Adam... Uh, unlikely had the vision and the intelligence to actually not need a microscope to look in at the at the DNA of plants and animals. And Alan White says he could read this read in the leaves. I think he not only could see the DNA, but he could also understand it. We're going to come to that 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 I think in just a moment. So because I love where you're going with that too. That's good. These are good thoughts. Okay. So all these laws that I just mentioned, these are fixed laws. Laws that are not compromisable. You understand what I mean by that? Can't compromise with these laws. You can't negotiate with gravity. Uh, a Protestant, a Jew, and a Catholic all went to the top of the Empire State Building and jumped off. Did gravity treat them differently? Gravity doesn't play favorites. It treats them all exactly the same. There's no compromise. It doesn't matter your religious belief system when you look at these laws. Does it make sense to people? Okay? 
Yeah, the, these are these are design law, non-negotiable. However, science has discovered in the last hundred years quantum physics. And quantum physics doesn't operate like Newtonian physics. Quantum physics is basically God's law encoded into reality that gives you freedom to choice. It really is what it is. In quantum physics, reality doesn't happen, isn't determined, until a sentient being makes a choice. And it's the choice of the sentient being that determines what the outcome will be. If you want to study this, you can just go look up quantum mechanics. For instance, a photon can either be a wave or a particle. And they can actually do studies, and it stays in an intermediate zone. Or it can be, it can be uh, the, the photon can be in, in one direction or another direction. They, they give a, a polarity to it, okay, which pole it's going at. But it actually states in, in a state of flux, in between which pole, until it's observed. And when the observer looks at it, the looking at it determines which pole it goes to. It just stays in an intermediate state until the observer looks. This is quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics also states that things are connected, quantum entanglement, that things are connected through time and space without physical connection. It doesn't matter how far it is away, there's a connection between the two particles. You affect the one particle, the other particle on the other side of the Earth has the same exact experience. That's what chaos theory. Yeah. So, this is actually biblical. This quantum mechanics is biblical when it talks about all of us are connected, one in Christ. We're all interconnected. Even though we're not physically connected, we're connected. There's a connection here. Now, what's interesting with this quantum stuff, and by the way, this is also how our prayers may actually be very much real and have real impact on people. Um, the computers we use, like my iPad and the computers you use, they operate on Newtonian physics. A ones and zeros, electricity, um, the very predictable laws upon which the universe works. Your brain structure with its blood flow and electrical signals and chemical reuptakes, this is very Newtonian fixes. But your mind, consciousness, which is very perplexed, and that's why we never really get truly artificial intelligence, consciousness seems to be working and your mind works on quantum physics. Okay? The ability to process information faster than the speed of light. And it's your decision making that ultimately will affect real world matter. So your thinking and the choices you make, what you choose, that's quantum aspect, when you choose, take an action, that is what determines what happens physiologically to your brain. As you make choices, that determines which neurons fire. That determines, and which neurons fire determines electrical currents and pathways and, brave, and brain waves. And, and that will determine other physical cascades in your body, such as elevating or reducing uh, stress hormones, inflammatory cascades, and so forth. But what's deterministic is not the neurobiology directly, but the choice that you're making. Further, they did this interesting study I found quite fascinating. Anybody know what a Faraday cage is? A Faraday cage. Okay, a Faraday cage is basically a cage mostly made out of copper, usually. So it's, it's a copper cage, wires, and, and, and the, the way it's designed, electromagnetic radiation, known as radio waves and other types of things, cannot penetrate it. So electromagnetic waves, radio signals and, and telephonic signals, and anything that we use in our modern communication can't penetrate. So you can be isolated from the world around you inside a Faraday cage. And they took individuals, two individuals, and they put them inside a Faraday cage together, and they had to meditate together 
where the two individuals working and meditating together formed a bond. They formed a connection. And then they separated them in different rooms inside separate Faraday cages. Okay? And they, the one person, they shined a light in that person's eye. And guess what? The brain changes that happen in the person, they can see when you shine a light in, all kinds of brain changes will happen. You fire certain neurons, you can see this functionally. The brain changes that happen in the person's eye that had the light shine in them, in the other person, in the other room, in the Faraday cage, the exact same brain changes were happening. Even though no light was shining in his eye. Did the people know each other prior to going to meditate together? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that question. I just know they meditated together. Okay? Yeah. Um, but this is quantum stuff. And this answers questions like, have you ever actually, and there's been thousands, if not more, stories, real life stories, of an individual knowing something bad happened to a loved one. You're communicating on a different level than an EM level, so they just got to figure out a different... This is quantum. This is quantum stuff. Quantum entanglement. Faraday cage is an EM shield. We, it's used in black right. boxes. And- right. So it blocks... The point is, it blocks brainwaves. Brainwaves are electromagnetic. Yes. Brainwaves are electromagnetic. You can measure those with electromagnetic... Okay. So, so I said they were to communicate tells me that there's something other than an EM connection... That's right. That's the quantum connection that I'm, I'm pointing out here. They were quantum entanglement. Now, it's just very fascinating. This is how you can have prayers that can be impactful in another person's life because quantum mechanics travel instantly. It doesn't matter space or time, distances. It's faster than the speed of light. It's instantaneous. This is how your prayers can be actually impactful. In other words, I don't say impactful means the right word, but interactive with God in real time, no matter where he is in the universe. Isn't this fascinating stuff? Take that a step further. Will they be interactive with the person you're praying for? Yes. Yes. There's actually over 7,000 studies, I think, that have documented that prayer has a very positive physiological benefit on those being prayed for, even if they don't know they're being prayed for. And they've done studies in which they put people in two groups, and they don't tell the people which group they're in. They don't know whether they're getting prayed for or not getting prayed for. And those that are getting prayed for have significantly better health outcomes. Um, there's a lot of studies, tons of studies on this. Okay? How can this be? Because we are connected in ways that we don't fully even yet comprehend. Quantum, quantum mechanics is one way. This is a part of, but the point is, there is a real scientific basis for the things you read in Scripture. God constructed and built reality like this. Satan wants to disrupt that. So what we believe, our, our sentientness, if you will, has a real impact on the reality of our own physical health and the world around us. Keep going, because we're talking about dominion. Then Adam and Eve, they, Adam and Eve, held converse, converse, I'll come back to that word, think what it means. They held converse with leaf and flower and tree, gathering from each the secret of its life. Now, what's the word converse mean? Sneaker? No, it's not a sneaker, okay? <laughs> yeah, see, this wasn't just they like we do today. We go and we will, mic- we will dissect something and we'll microscope it and scope it and, and we will biopsy it and, we'll do, and we will observe and we will study. That's, a, that's kind of a one-way kind of way to study. That's kind of what we do. Is that what converse means? No, it's something implied here. An interaction. A quantum, again, I think, connection. I've got some theories here, but go ahead. 
Well, we went to a biology uh, presentation where a geneticist talked about how the DNA is set up just like a communication form, where we have 26 letters in our alphabet, the DNA has four. And the way they're set up is by, like in words, sentences, and paragraphs. It's how they're arranged. Right. And it's set up exactly like a communication form is. Of course, all DNA is set up that way. All DNA is. What's interesting, though, is back to the quantum thing and the prayer, there's some studies that show when you pray for somebody and you actually not even just pray, you show real compassion or empathy for in a relationship, that it actually affects genetic expression in that person. Okay? Does this give vegans some pause? Give vegans pause. Okay, there's, there's, there's actually studies that should because there's studies that show... That the foods that you eat, not only do you absorb the fats, proteins, carbohydrates, you're absorbing the genetic material, and that genetic material will epigenetically alter your genes in your cells, how they're being expressed. So one study on a group of individuals from China who eat a lot of rice, uh, microRNA, uh, micro little tiny RNA strands coming out of the rice, have been shown to epigenetically alter the, the gene that codes for how LDL, li- low-density lipoprotein cholesterol, in your body is being processed in the liver um, and other places in your body. So you get altered LDL um, metabolism. The genetics of your genes that do that are, are shifted based on the impact of the food you ate genetically. I was talking about talking to the plants you're eating. Oh, talking to the plants you're eating. I gotcha. <laughs> ah, okay. I didn't even pick that up. Okay. So, so yeah. So how many people, though, have heard growing up? I remember growing up that your plants grow better if you talk to them. How many remember that? Play music to them. Play music to them. Talk to them. Classical music. <laughs> okay. And, and, the simple, and, and, and the simple answer given in the, in the his, history of time back in you know, 1960s when I was growing up is, well, you're breathing carbon dioxide to them and that's what they need if you talk to them. Uh, this is implying something more is going on. Yes? So Don introduced uh, a story from a book that he had read a long time ago and that was about the plants and they actually put EEG monitors on there. It's plant had been in a bank when a robbery had occurred. They put EEG monitors on the plant. They paraded past different individuals when the person who actually did the robbery, because there was violence in the robbery, went past, there was an EMG change in the plant when the actual perpetrator went by that had created violence. So, which I was going to have that comment before, but the thought about vegans now gives a whole new spectrum. <laughs> Sorry. Don't be violent to your plants, people. <laughs> well, we're growing some tomatoes, and we're really looking forward to going out there and slicing those babies up. <laughs> Uh, the from Lakeport is uh, wondering, do mothers have a quantum link with children? Yes, I was about to mention that. I think that that's true, and here's why. When a mother gives birth, uh, and this is why there's a connection, I think, biologically more so than adopted mothers. When a mo- mother gives birth, and, and whether it's vaginal or, or um, hysteric, I mean, um, um, cesarean, um, either way, um, fetal cells um, transfer into the mother's blood. And they also cross the blood-brain barrier at that point. In, into the mother's blood. And for the rest of the mother's life, she will have circulating um, um, fetal cells that are um, progenitor cells that can differentiate into any um, cell of the body. And so the mother will have small amounts of cells in her body that might have differentiated. She may have neurons, for instance, a few neurons in her brain, perhaps, or other uh, bone marrow cells or other cells that don't have her DNA, that have her child's DNA. 
for the rest of her life. That's true. Now, when you understand quantum entanglement, the DNA structure itself is a very unique molecule with a, uh, with, with a, with a unique structure. It also has harmonics. I don't even want to get into harmonics, but harmonics means that everything vibrates at a certain harmony. And all the molecules are vibrating at a certain harmony. And uh, so your DNA structure has a unique harmonic and vibrates at a certain harmony too. And so this idea of a quantum entanglement based on the DNA molecules that are common between them, there is a real scientific, physiologic potential reason why that quantum entanglement's there and, and they can actually have a certain connection. Yes? We no longer have to do amniocentesis to check for genetic defects. It's done with a blood test in the mother's um, blood during pregnancy. Because we can get some of the fetal blood. Correct. There you go. So there you go. It's already circulating. That's very interesting. All right, so back to this question, um, this converse with, with leaf and flower and tree. See, do you think that Adam could just go to the plant and whether it was through thought or through word... Say, you know something, um, I'd like that third branch to be reabsorbed and move three inches down and regrow. And the plant reabsorbs it and moves it and grows it three inches down. Could they have done that? Um, uh, you know, I would like a flower on the fourth branch on the left side of their tree. Tomorrow morning when Eve gets up so I can surprise her. <laughs> Do you think he could say that and the plant would have a flower there for him tomorrow? You think I'm being silly. Did Jesus say to the tree, boom, next morning it's dead? You think I'm being silly? I think absolutely. I don't think he had to take and tie things and vines off. I'd say, vine, I'd like you to, to take and do a, a spiral pattern around this particular tree and then grow back down, making it a, a diamond pattern for us. That would really be pretty. You think the vine would do it? You guys are looking, some of you guys are going, are you crazy? <laughs> Wait a second. We just read he had absolute, what is it, where we at up here? Uh, unlimited control was given over every living thing. He had converse with plant and tree. The question is also um, motivation of the conversation. And so the, the element, I can certainly see a conversation with the tree of this branch that you have coming up now is going to start rubbing badly with this other one. Why don't you reabsorb it and do that so that there was that, that, that selfless uh, exchange. I can so see that being for the benefit of uh, aesthetics. I'm not sure. <laughs> do you think they had the ability to... You know what? I would really like a little stream to come through this garden we're making here, and they can just redirect the stream, move the dirt, have it follow, have a follow kind of form for itself, have some diamonds and rubies and emeralds come from the bed of that stream. So it, it and they just by you know with their minds make these things happen. So in other words, everything they would do would be through the minds. They do nothing physical. All they, I have to do is think it. It would do it itself. They could, they could potentially do it that way. I just, uh, I don't have it, any you, you don't, if, if I'm jump, let me just jump ahead to my notes since uh, some people are getting a little, what we call cognitive dissonance in here. Okay. Um, You're getting another rep of sign DK. Wait. Could they walk on water? Did Jesus, did Jesus, did Jesus as the second Adam walk on water? Yes. Interesting. Uh, could they command the sun to stand still? Oh, come on. Why not? Oh, what, did Joshua come in? Through, 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 could, could they move the things with their eyes? How about an axe head float? Do we have a story where an axe head floated? 
Okay, hmm. Adam wanted the moon to stand still, and Eve says, I don't want it to. I want it to move over there. Everyone has voted great faith by pure unselfish love, and this is not a I want a diamond for my finger or a. Could they teleport? Yes. Did did Lucifer teleport Jesus to the top of the temple? Yeah. It's even better than that. We have evidence of when was the start of their prayer, and the angel was responding to the prayer, saying directly from heaven before the prayer in There you go. Okay. Now what that tells me is, okay, bear in mind you're stuck in 3D space. We can go into into the concept of multiple dimensionality that we do not understand. But clearly, other dimensionality plays part of this, and we don't understand. And when you get your mind, just, just, I hath not seen, nor ear heard. We don't, we, we are dark, seeing through a veil darkly. Let your imagination go in some of these places. Did anything I suggest in any way violate God's character of love? No. No. These are abilities in the physical world. We... Well, we'll get to a purpose here in a moment. Let me keep reading this because, boy, the time is dragging. Um, or flying, I mean. Um, okay, so here's, here's some more. Um, he had given to each, uh, Adam had given to each its name and acquainted with the nature and habits of all the, uh, all the animals in the garden. Um, uh, let's see. God's glory in the heavens, the innumerable worlds and their orderly revolutions, the balancing of the clouds, the mysteries of light and sound, of day and night, all were open to the study of our first parents. On every leaf of the forest or stone of the, mount, uh, of the mountains, in every shining star, in earth and air and sky, God's name was written. You mean like a trademark? Little Nike swoosh on everything? Is that what we're talking about? God's name was written? We had a little, little initials there? Is that what we're talking about? Are we, do, we, do we think concretely here? Do we understand there's something else? On, what is name? God's character. Okay, so when you understand his character, how is God's character written in all of it? What is, his, what is the core of his character? God is love. How do you see love written in it all? What is the principle of love? How's it function? Giving. Giving. Right, remember every breath we take, we give like carbon dioxide to the plants and the plants give back oxygen to us. A never-ending circle of giving written right into nature. God's character written right there. It's beautiful. Many, many more places. Got to keep rolling. All righty. So long as they remained loyal to the divine law, what law? Which is what kind of law? Natural. Design, functional. Yeah, not a rule. Yeah. Notice this though. As long as they remained loyal, their capacity to know, to enjoy, and to love would continually increase. Continually increase. When When does that stop? Do you understand you were created, designed for continual, eternal advancement, development, growth in your knowledge, your understanding, but also your capacity to love? Eternally, never to stop. Why is it that's only true if they stayed loyal? Is it true they could only grow in these capacities if they stayed loyal? Because they stayed loyal, they kept their heavenly golden security cards with their access passwords to give them access to the heavenly library where they could get all the data they needed? Remember, remember about the angels there with their gold cards? Is, is that what was going on? No, that's not what was going on. This is design law stuff. What even happens today? What would happen if you could transport yourself back in time to, say, the, the 14th century, bubonic plague, black death in the Middle Ages, 
in Europe and you have all the knowledge of microbiology and you try and teach them there's these microscopic organisms that you cannot see that are being carried by fleas on rats that are causing this disease when all the preachers and everyone knows it's God's wrath punishing them. What do you think would happen if you tried to tell them that? <laughs> Interesting. Well, well, because you're telling a lie? You misunderstood. So notice the thing here. As long as they stayed loyal to God, their capacity to know and to enjoy would continually increase. When we're not loyal to God, what's happening in our minds? We have lies operating in our minds. And what do lies do to our capacity to grow? They destroy it. They obstruct it. We can't, we can't grow in lies. We can't do it. Tim, I think that's an aspect of being created in God's image that we don't um, explore enough. The, the, the capacity for being future infinite. I mean, we always had a beginning, right. but we were, we were designed to be future infinite. So when Adam and Eve believed the lies, their capacities were truncated. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of things truncated. I mean, if they could communicate with plants and animals, imagine the devastation that mankind would reap on itself if they could still communicate with plants and animals. Well, just imagine how much we've lost, though. Just a just little bit we've theorized about in here today with the quantum connections and the, and the controls over nature and the ability to converse with animals and plants. And think about how much Adam lost. Probably for his own good. Or for the good of mankind. Now we're getting to the first par- second paragraph in Sabbath lesson. <laughs> it says, not only man, and I have a whole bunch of interesting stuff to go through, but not only man, but the earth also had by sin come under the control of the wicked one and was to be restored by the plan of redemption. At the creation, Adam was placed in dominion over the earth. But by yielding to temptation, he was brought under the power of Satan, and the dominion which he held passed to his conqueror. Thus Satan became the god of this world. Remember in Job chapter 1, he controls the weather, brings storms, and so forth like that. I think, by the way, it's not stated in Scripture. When Christ and the apostles were out on the Sea of Galilee and the storm came that was so terrible, my personal view is that Satan stirred that storm up just like in Job 1. He was trying to destroy Christ like he's tried every other time and tried to destroy the apostolic church. And that was not a natural storm. That's what was so awful, and the apostles couldn't deal with it, and they were so terrified, these fishermen who lived their life on the sea, because this was an unnatural storm. And, and Jesus... The uh, second Adam, who has real dominion, stands up and says, peace, be still. And he stops the storm. But anyway, this is an aside. Uh, He had usurped that dominion over the earth, which had been originally given to Adam. But Christ, by his sacrifice, paying the penalty of sin, would not only redeem man, but recover the dominion which had been forfeited. All that was lost by the first Adam will be restored by the second. Okay, when you hear that language, paid the penalty of sin. When you hear that language, stop immediately and just stop and go, wait, what law lens am I hearing that through? If I'm hearing it through a human law construct, rules have been broken, a judicial process has been enacted, we've investigated the evidence, judgment has been rendered, a penalty now must be invoked. You come to a whole theological construct that puts God in a terrible light. If you worship creator God, who designed and constructed reality, understand that sin is deviation from his design, that human beings are no longer in harmony with how he's constructed things, we are dead in trespasses of sin, our condition is terminal, then you understand that Christ came to do what was necessary to heal and restore, and there's a penalty involved in this. Exactly like this. This is how it works. You have a child, 
who disobeyed your teachings to stay away from the toxins and, and uh, antifreezes and, and uh, pesticides in your garage and your child, for whatever known reason, played with those and drank some of the pesticide or antifreeze. And if you drink antifreeze, that's a good example for our analogy. Antifreeze untreated will destroy anybody know what? Kidneys. Your kidneys. It will destroy your kidneys, put you into renal failure. And your child's done this. And now destroying their, their, their disobedience isn't, you broke a rule, now I must, uh, I, must ex- I must take a knife and cut your kidneys out to punish you for breaking that rule. No. You, your, your breach in the rule has actually deviated from the laws of health and it's destroying you. But I love you. I want to save you. I'll donate one of my kidneys. And I donate a kidney to save the child. You donate a kidney to save your child. Could somebody say, wow, you paid a serious price. You paid a real price to save your child. You paid the price. What was the price that needed to be paid to save your child? A new kidney. That was the price. And you paid it. That's what this means. Paid the penalty. There was a penalty here. What was the penalty? Had to destroy the infection and establish a new humanity. Christ did that for us because we could never do it. Any more than the person with two destroyed kidneys can't take their two destroyed kidneys and make a new one. They can't do it. You have to have a healthy one coming from an outside source. That's what Christ did. Sunday, I'm going to jump ahead. Jump ahead to Sunday. There we go. Um, First paragraph says, Someone recently wrote the following about a friend uh, and an avowed atheist who said that she sometimes wakes in the middle of the night stressing over a bunch of deep questions. Is this world truly the result of an accident, cosmic Big Bang? How could there be no design, no grand purpose to our existence in the universe as a whole? Can it be that every life, including my own, my husband's, my two children's, is totally irrelevant and meaningless? Does my life have no meaning or purpose? So, first question, before we even answer those questions. Historically, what do you think in the history of the human race led to people coming to this place that they rejected the idea of God and developed this godless theory of evolution. The God they presented was awful. That's right. There you go. He said the God they presented was awful. More than that, but you're correct. If you unpack it, the God they presented was not only awful, in, in specific ways, functionally, how was this God awful? Opposite of the real one. Opposite of the real one, for sure. He was out to get us. He was out to get us for sure. What method did he use in governing those? Where I'm getting coercion. Coercion, which is what kind of law construct? It's an imperial law construct that has no natural design to it at all. It's not built into reality. There's not consequence for it. It is arbitrary rules enforced by power to kill, and it's contradictory to how reality in the world actually works. And so thinking people came along and go, that God's capricious, he's arbitrary, he's no different than a dictator, that's how Hitler works, that's how Idi Amin works, that's how you know, despots everywhere work. He just has more power. And the thinking person goes, I reject that. And there wasn't a true picture of God in the world really being presented. And so they said, oh, I think I'll go, I'd rather believe in a world without this severe, angry deity following me everywhere with a recording angel, keeping track of every mistake I've ever done. So uh, at the end of time, no matter what I've done, if I've, if I've forgotten one thing that just slipped my mind to forget to ask the legal payment for, I'm going to burn in hell for eternity. This is how many people thought, and they lived in this terrible fear, and they rejected it. This is why this, this entire theory came along, because the truth about God had been lost. Yes? In a church meeting a couple of weeks ago, uh, the person who was leading out in a little study <coughs> said, 
said that when Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed the earth. God cursed, you know, whatever. Okay, and remember what Jesus said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings forth good out of the good stored up in him. The evil man brings forth evil out of the evil stored up in him. The musician brings forth music out of the music stored up in him. The mathematician brings forth math out of the math stored up in him. In other words, that person was revealing something to you, and they were telling you their level of understanding and maturity. And what were they telling you? They're level four. No, perhaps level one. Level one maturity. Right and wrong is determined by reward and punishment. That's level one maturity. And if they're teaching this, this is a, a very, very childish way to understand reality. It's right if you get a reward, it's wrong if you get punished for it. They broke the rule, God punished. A more mature understanding, level six and seven, is God was announcing, diagnosing, if you like that word, and a diagnosis is the same thing as a judgment, but it's not an enacted judicial judgment. It is the accurate assessment or judgment or determination of what exists in reality. And they were saying, now that you've deviated from my design and bringing in other passages of Scripture, like Paul in Romans 8, where he says, all nature groans under the weight of sin. The whole earth is now deviant from God's design and doesn't naturally work as God had it. There's a contaminating agency in, and the parable of Jesus... Somebody had sown weeds into the field and Jesus said, who did this? An enemy has done this. There's an enemy afoot now messing with God's design. And so the, the ground is cursed because of you. Because of what you've done, the ground, the earth is under a curse now. It's not a punishment, it's just the reality. That's more mature thinking. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to point out, and, and that is how the King James states it is, God said the ground is cursed for your sake. And some of the other versions may twist the words around that God, you know, God cursed Adam. But, but yeah, because of our thinking, we often read, even King James, because of man, the, the ground is cursed. And we paraphrase it to God cursed the ground. God cursed the ground. So here's another quote out of the book Education, page uh, 14. It says, In order to understand what is comprehended in the work of education, we need to consider both the nature of man and the purpose of God in creating him. We need to consider also the changes in man's condition through the coming in of a knowledge of evil and God's plan for still fulfilling his glorious purpose. God had a purpose. It got derailed by Satan's temptation of Adam and Eve and they're falling to sin, but God has a plan for still fulfilling that purpose. When Adam and Eve... From the Creator's hand, when Adam came from the Creator's hand, he bore in his physical, mental, and spiritual nature a likeness to his Maker. We went through that last week. God created man in his own image, and it was his purpose that the longer man lived, the more fully he should reveal this image, the more fully reflect the glory of the Creator. Remember, we just read earlier that if they would stay in harmony, they would have had never any capacity for growth, for knowledge, for love. What is the, it says, reflect the, the glory of the Creator? What's the glory of the Creator? Love. Love. How it works. How works. Character. Love. Character, yeah. If you look at Scripture, remember it said in, um, after the 70 year captivity, the Jews were rebuilding the temple. The fathers that had seen the original Solomon's temple were moaning and wailing at how puny the new temple is going to be compared to the glorious temple of Solomon. Remember this? Haggai gives a prophecy. Haggai gives a prophecy that the te- second temple, this little bitty temple, is going to be more glorious. More glorious than the first temple. And everyone understands what that meant, right? How's it going to be more glorious? Well, Jesus will physically appear there. But wait a second. When Solomon's temple was dedicated, on the day of the dedication, who appeared there? 
God appeared in his glory. It was so bright, it says, that the priest cannot enter the temple because God's, God's physical presence was at that temple on the day of its dedication. So God physically came to the first temple with such brilliant glory that the people couldn't enter. Jesus comes in human form. And the Bible says that was more glorious. More glorious. How so? What is being told? What is God's glory? Because this was self-sacrificial love. Read Philippians. He didn't thought, did not think equality with God was something to be grasped, but humbled himself into the form of a servant, even to the form of a slave, all the way to the cross. What is he what he's revealing? Greater love is no man that he give his life for a friend. This is what he's revealing. This is what glory looks like. And so, man was created to reflect the glory of his creator. We were to reflect his love. We were to love like he loves. And as soon as Adam sinned, it was completely corrupted. It's not me, Lord. It was a woman you gave me. Toss her under the bus. Sacrifice somebody to protect himself. Survival of the fittest instinct. Driven into man. That's what we drive. That's what we, we fly by now. All right. So all his faculties were capable of development. Their capacity and vigor worked continually to increase, as we read earlier. Throughout eternal ages, he would have continued to gain new treasures of knowledge, to discover fresh springs of happiness, and to obtain clearer and yet clearer conceptions of the wisdom, the power, and the love of God. More and more fully would he have, would he have fulfilled the object of his creation, more and more fully have reflected the creator's glory. But by disobedience, this was forfeited. Through sin, the divine likeness was marred and well-nigh obliterated. Man's physical powers were weakened. His mental capacity was lessened. His spiritual vision dimmed. He had become subject to death, yet the race was not left without hope. By infinite love and mercy, the plan of salvation had been devised, and life of probation was granted to restore in man, notice, to restore in man the image of his maker, to bring him back to the perfection in which he was created, to promote the development of body, mind, and soul, that the divine purpose in his creation might be realized. This was to be the work of redemption. I'm going to pause. What did you hear just described? Functionally, what's being described? Do you hear anything legal going on here? The work of redemption. Justice must be maintained. Penalties must be paid. The divine government must be assuaged. God's anger must be taken care of. None of it. That was never the plan. That's all the corruption. That's the infection of penal substitution. Amen. It was always to restore in man the image of God. Keep going. This is the object of education, the great object of life. Love, the basis of creation and of redemption, is the basis of true education. What does that mean, love, the basis? Is it just emotion, just compassion? Certainly it's part of love, is that it? Or is it that functional aspect we talk about, that principle, the design protocol, how reality actually is structured to work, an expression of God in nature? This is made plain. No, so I'm going to read these sentences together. Love, the basis of creation and redemption, is the basis of true education. This is made plain in the law that God has given as the guide of life. Pause. How would you predict, project, predict? What do you think? Because the next sentence tells us the law. What is the law that will be referenced next that God has given as the guide of life? What do you think? You are so, so good. Because nobody said the Ten Commandments, which is what is typically said. The law that was given, this is not what this author says. This is made plain in the law that God has given as the guide of life. Very next words. The first and greatest commandment is, 
Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and all thy mind. To love him, the infinite, the omniscient one, with the whole strength and mind and heart means the highest development of every power. It means that the whole being, the body, the mind, as well as the soul, the image of God is to be restored. Amen. Amen. You see? This is beautiful. It's restoration. It's healing. Monday's lesson, the first two paragraphs, it says the biblical word dominion comes from the Hebrew word rada, and uh, the word indicates right and responsibility to rule. It implies in the context a hierarchy of power and authority in which the human race is positioned above the rest of the natural world. While the verb rata is used in the rest of the Old Testament, does not itself define how the dominion is to be exercised, whether benevolently or malevolently. The context of a sinless and unfallen creation shows that the intent um, must have been the same. And they go on to say basically the same thing about the verb for subdue. So, um, uh, to subdue. They had authority, they had dominion. They were to exercise this. How were they to wield it? How would Adam and Eve wielded power had they been faithful and loyal and not become self-centered? Does it give us insight into how God works? Do we learn lessons about God's methods of operating? Remember one of the allegations of Lucifer in heaven? What was one of the allegations? That it's not fair. He doesn't get to go into heavenly councils with Jesus and the Father. Do we learn something about that? Does Adam and Eve, as they're planning whatever their next expansion of the garden is going to be, do they call the elephant or their dog or cat over and converse with them to get input on what they should do next in their expansion? Why don't they call the dog and the cat or the elephant over? Is it because they're selfish? They're exclusionary? They don't care about these other life forms? Or is it because the dog and the cat and the elephant could not contribute? They could not engage on the level of Adam and Eve for those types of discussions? Now, which do you think is the bigger gap? The gap between your dog and you, or the gap between you and God? Which is the bigger gap? <laughs> it's not even close, is it? You consider they were holding converse with the dog, the cat, and then, and the elephant. Remember, they were holding converse. They were communicating. But there were, there were things that those, those creatures weren't invited into. It's a lesson. It teaches. Oh, Lucifer wasn't excluded out of the, the uh, triune's discussions of things because God is exclusionary and self-centered. Think about it. A finite mind cannot enter into infinity and survive. A finite mind can't process infinity without being destroyed. They, they couldn't, a finite mind could not enter into those councils. It was beyond the capacity of a finite being. This is not selfish. In fact, it was love protecting a finite mind, keeping them out. Tuesday's lesson about boundaries. And we won't even have to... Res- 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 about the purpose of the law. And it's about how the law is the law of liberty. And boundaries keep you free. And, the, and, God, and most people, when they think of boundaries, they think of restriction. They think of imprisonment. They think of, 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 uh, of restriction of liberties and confinement and so forth. Not so. God's boundaries are always boundaries that protect and restore liberty when you understand and participate in them. I've got to, uh, I encourage you to, to read the notes or go to the Remedy, Galatians three nineteen through 25, where it talks about the purpose of the law. Why was the written law given? And the way the Remedy puts it, the, the, the law came to quarantine us. Think what a quarantine does. What's the purpose of a quarantine? Yeah, it, it's, it's a hedge of protection and to diagnose us. To diagnose us and protect us until the true remedy comes that will cure us. That was its purpose. The written law at Sinai was to quarantine, diagnose, protect until Jesus, the true remedy, comes that we can be healed. That was its purpose. And that's why, who is the law actually for? 
If you read in 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 11, in, in most translations it says the law was not given for the righteous, but for the wicked, for the slave trader and the murderer. And so it's not, the law is not given for the righteous. My version, we know that the law is good. We know that the written law is a diagnostic instrument for the soul and is good if used properly. We also know that the diagnostic tool is not made for the spiritually healthy, but for those who are selfish in character, those who are spiritually diseased, who don't know God, who don't love others, but kill their fathers and mothers, the ill at heart, murderers, sexual perverts and adulterers, human traffickers, liars, deceivers, and everyone and everything else that is out of harmony with God's design for life or doesn't harmonize with the incredible truth about God's character of love that he has entrusted me to share. That's what the law is for. Pardon? Well, but not not only that, this is diagnostic. The MRI, when an MRI machine was created, designed, constructed, it was not designed for healthy people. The purpose of constructing the MRI was for the sick to diagnose, to expose pathology. That's its purpose. The law was not written for the healthy, for the righteous, for those perfectly living in harmony. It was written for those out of harmony. So freedom, how does the law bring freedom? If a person smoked heavily for years and now has bad lung lung disease, have they lost liberty? Have they lost freedom? If a person lived sedentary lifestyle, didn't exercise, eat fatty foods, and now is in heart failure, have they lost liberty? If a person has murdered someone, and even if they're not caught and put in jail, have they lost liberty? Do they live in fear on the lamb? If a person is an addict, have they lost liberty? If a person rejects love and lives selfishly, have they lost liberty? Yes. Why? Because they're imprisoned in their own fears, their doubts, their insecurities, their perceived threats, and ultimately their fear of death. See, fear paralyzes. Love frees. When you really love, you're free. And I'm going to close with this. You know, Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan about the freedom. But, but, and the good, why do you think he chose a Samaritan to tell the story about? Well, yes, in their culture, Samaritans were pariah. They were looked down at as just constitutionally evil people. Samaritans. Okay, they were corrupt. So he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And in the story, we all know what happens in the story. So in the story of the Good Samaritan, who was the one who was really right with God? Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. So what about this parable today? Who is the Christian, the good Christian in this parable? A ship was sailing from the United States to England and hits an iceberg. It's sinking. People are frantic. There's only The last lifeboat is being loaded. All the seats are taken. It's completely full. And a child is discovered on the boat, not on the lifeboat. The priest refuses to give up a seat for the child. A pastor, theology professor, they refuse to give up a seat. But a homosexual man who's lived his whole life as a homosexual gets off the boat and gives a seat to the child. Who in the parable is the Christian? By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Greater love is no man than that he give his life for a friend. This is how we know what love is, that Christ gave his life for us. We're going to give our lives for each other. Our gracious Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the beauty of your character and how you've constructed reality to actually work. We realize that we do see through a glass that is so dark and so dim and we, we have minds, our minds have not conceived of the incredibleness of your universe and your character and what you have in store for us. We ask that you will finish your work in our lives as you've constructed us to be God-like, like you, like you in love, like you in knowledge, like you to live eternally is how you've designed us, Lord. And we ask that your, your will be done in our hearts, that we will be like you on this earth. We pray in your holy name. Amen.